Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, friends. Have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer. We are meaning me and my fearless co-host, one of my most wonderful friends and lit senior teacher, physical therapist extraordinaire, Kristen Williams. Hello. <laughs> we got We've got to put like some, yeah. All right. Effects. Let's uh, start right in. We've got some great questions. Hannah Konda 3000. Why should we not roll the neck? So we often talk about, um, in some aerobics classes, people, and I listen, I did this. I used to teach high impact aerobics and we did the whole like roll the shoulders, roll your neck around in a circle. Then I went to PT school, had never really thought about it. And one of, I always say I have a few mentors and one of the mentors, Shirley Sarman, who has, you know, just five decades plus of incredible diagnostic and clinical experience and one of the first lines I read about the neck was, I never advise people to roll the neck. It's not a ball and socket joint. And it just landed for me. I was like, wow, that totally makes sense. So when we roll our ball and socket joints, which are our shoulders and our hips, they are balls. So they're made to move. They're made to move in a circular way. The hip is going to be more limited because it has more passive restraints in there. But they both have the capacity to flex and extend, internally, externally rotate, adduct, abduct, and then what's called circumduction, which is that circular movement. 
Whereas the skull is sitting on top of the atlas and it's balancing there. And it's like, we often say it's like a big golf ball on a little tee. And so it's, if you think about that, you're not rotating the ball on that. It kind of rocks in different directions. We have great range of motion in our cervical spine because that's to help our eyeballs be able to see things. That's the only reason we haven't really have that ability in our spine, the cervical spine to move it in so many directions. I have to look behind me. If I'm backing up the car, you know, I can, I need to look down I look sideways, but we never have to roll our head because our eyeballs are like, you know, we're not trying to roll our eyeballs around. So if you think about it from that perspective, the, the function of the cervical spine is so that we can navigate our, our environment, our world around us. And then if you go a little into more detail about it, that is, um, when you roll around, are you going to cause damage? No, not if you do this like every once in a while. Like sometimes I get in the shower and I kind of do that. But to do it repetitively on a regular basis is not recommended because that is not, it's natural. It doesn't have the congruency to roll like that. And when you're rolling, you might get some cracking. You might get some of those, um, some adjustments. And there's other ways to do it. You can combine the movements that would create the circle. Um, you do do a little rotation. I often do a little rotation and kind of rock back and forward in a flexion and extension pattern to get the skull more, more aligned. Um, so again, it's not that it's a never, ever do. It's just don't do it as habitual functional movement pattern as part of your exercise program. That's what I have to say about it. And that's exactly my take on it. It's not that you can't do it. It's that you shouldn't, there's no reason to do it regularly. Um, I mean, I, I, and in, I have taught and still teach in certain instances, you know, certain motions where it might be considered maybe like a half circle. Half circle. I don't really ever recommend going back. I, there, that's just reproducing the vertebral artery test. You know, you compre- there's too many things to get comp- compressed in the back when you extend and circle the neck. Now coming forward, like you said, you kind of do that sometimes to loosen your neck, that little half circle coming forward. But it's whenever I prescribe that, it's it's with an intention. And it's not do it all the time every day. It's like you said, I get a little tight, you know, maybe you need to come down at an angle and you know, you work your way to the next position, but I don't really ever think of it as circling the neck because yeah, that's just not a functional movement pattern of the spine. So intention matters and just knowing why you're doing what you're doing, which is why this is a great question. You know, they're asking why, why not? And we're happy to tell you why we don't recommend it on the regular basis. Not that you can't ever do it, but know why you're doing something when you're doing it on a regular basis and cervical circling isn't one of those things that you ever need to do on a regular basis ever. The other thing I'll add to that is I've actually, and I'm sure you've seen this too, I've treated some people who did that regularly as a way of kind of cracking and adjusting their neck that led to some issues. They actually get like, it's not a subluxation per se, but you know, if you think about the skull and the brain and and that whole area is anywhere from eight to 12 pounds on a very um, somewhat unstable surface, right? It's, It's really not that big. Well, we have these ligaments in there and their job is to keep that stabilization. So when you have whiplash or something, you are, you've hyperextended and you've probably stretched out, you know, part of those ligaments and that's 
can lead to issues, especially if you've had a repetitive problem with that. So what I saw with these clients, I had to tell them, your brain is telling you to roll your neck because you've done it so much and now you've gotten so used to it, but you've got to not do it because it is destabilizing that area. And just like the rest of the spine, we have these structures there, the anterior, posterior, longitudinal ligaments, as well as many, many other ligaments in there that are really made to give that, that access of the spine stability. So if you practice it regularly, and I'm talking like these people were doing it daily, multiple times a day, even kind of yanking on their hair and stuff to get a little like um, natural adjustment, they really destabilize the cervical spine. So we had to work on like actually not doing that, strengthening the muscles around it because you've overstretched, they've overstretched those ligaments. So their brain is telling it like they've kept sliding around. So then they'd have to adjust. So it can lead you know, to an instability of sorts that you just don't want in that area. Period. Yep. You got to take risk versus reward. Exactly. So, all right. Next question. All right. I've got one here, right? From our friend, Julie Miller. Yeah. Our, our favorite, Aussie, one of our favorite Aussies. We love the Aussies, but still. Yes. Um, all right. So Julie says, I have a question for you for Q&A, which is, this is a great one, which Laura and I can both relate to how to keep good posture slash alignment when doing the dishes if you are tall, as benches aren't always high enough. What do you think about that, Laura? Do you ever adjust? I'm 5'9", you're 5'11", like we're tall and my sink is low. I have a big basin sink. I love it, the farmhouse sink. Um, But I've often thought to myself, this is not a real functional, like it's big, but it's low. So I tend to um, just... I think tone more, you know, I'll flex at my hips, bend my knees. I kind of get more like a little bit into squat. And then I allow my upper back to, to move forward in a, in a more flexed like position, but I'm doing it with a lot, like I'm holding, I'm not just kind of like rounding the shoulders. I'm flexing more at the hips and then allowing a little bit of that thoracic flexion. Um, but, but I'm holding the support of it. So I almost look at it like so many of kind of chores in our, in our daily life. It's just more opportunity to hold your center, even when you're off balance, off centered. So there are things that are not going to be as ergonomically sound and that, that can be one of them washing the dishes. So sometimes I'll do like a, um, kind of a, like a stagger leg, like a crescent lunge type thing. So I'm really lunging and I have one leg forward and one leg back. And then I'm, I'm using that action of of the core strength to actually scrub a pot or something. Yeah. Well, and I, I take breaks. I mean, I will, I'll bend over, like you said, I'll hold my core. And then when I'm drying or when I ever have a chance, I'll come up and come back up or I'll stop if I need to, if I'm doing a lot of dishes like Thanksgiving or something, I'll do three back bends and then I'll go back at it. So just giving myself that break because yeah, when you're tall and we're, I mean, we're tall for women, but we're not tall by all standards, you know, I mean, it's, you're bending over and you, you have to engage your core. It's the weight of your trunk against gravity. So use your core, take breaks, stagger your feet. Like, like you said, think of it as an opportunity to work an isometric contraction and then take that break, lean, take a back bend, draw your hands down and just extend, lift up out of the pelvis and give it a little break. That to me is the game change. I do that with shoveling snow, raking leaves, I take my breaks, even if I don't feel like I need one. I'm like, I've been doing this for a while. Let me do three back bends. And mm-hmm. that has, knock on wood, saved me for many, many years. 
Yeah, and that that's really important when you're shoveling snow, which you might not get, Julie, in Australia. But you know, it's true. This, this, again, <laughs> what we our messaging is always. I love that what people do on the mat, but I'm way more interested in how they're taking and implementing their life because that's where it really pays off. That's where we're going for the longevity, the sustainability, the adaptability that we talk about is that it's not just doing a bunch of movements on this mat and then leaving it. You know, it's really absorbing and understanding the the neuro mapping of how do we hold our body stable as we are adding more demand with gravitational forces so that in these kind of asymmetrical, maybe awkward positions, we're still able to hold on to that. And then, like you said, absolutely take breaks and 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 either rotate or extend or a little bit of both of that. Great question. Yeah, that's this function. Yep. All right. This is a great question from Thalia Lovey. She says, um, how can you lead with authority without being attached to outcomes? Do you want to give your take on Ooh, that? Yeah. That is hard. Um, I think that there is a huge attachment to outcome, especially nowadays. We're seeing it so much with our children where nobody fails. Everybody has, everybody gets the ribbon. Everybody gets the pat on the back. And so my personal stance has always been to not do that with my kids for starters. And then having to follow along, you know, that in my own practice, I think when I kind of lead with authority. I try to more lead by example and do something that serves me. And nine times out of 10, that gets a good outcome because, you know, serving me in serving others, you know, when you're, when you're giving and serving without expecting something in return, I almost, I feel like it's karma, you know, and you get, you get goodness in return, but That, unfortunately, is not how a lot of Western societies, especially, is currently raising young men and women, children, um, to to think that way. So um, that's a great question. I don't think I gave a great answer. What's your take on that? No, I I I really like what you said. And I think along those lines, you know, first of all, leading with authority to me is knowledge is power. And so the more you know, the more you can educate. But equally, the more you recognize what you that there's many things you don't know. So I think when we lead with authority, we're taking what we know and we're teaching it. And whether it lands for someone or not is, you know, like kind of outside of our domains. We can't take that personally. So, you know, if I'm leading with authority and I'm teaching and I know 90% of people are going to love it. That's wonderful, but I'm not attached to that either. Similarly, if 10% say, whoa, I, I, what is she doing this for? This doesn't feel like yoga or what is like, why are we doing all the, and I can't be, I'm not attached to that either, right? Like, so part of leading with authority is being what you were saying. It's like being true to yourself and knowing that what you're offering is very authentically what you believe, what you believe that's going to be helpful, educational, empowering. And then that's the gift. And how someone receives it is out of our hands. And that if the more we recognize that, it's, I think some of this comes with age too. It just kind of is like, you know, you just, what we're doing, we're really, really clear and we feel so passionate about. And if I was only attached to the outcome of how, if somebody likes it or not, or somebody 
understands it or not, I, that that would just be a drag on my energy. What, where I want to put my energy is on continuing to, to educate myself, continuing to feel energized and fuel, continue to be of service to others. And however they receive it is awesome. And I'm not attached to whether they love it or whether they don't like it. And I think some of that, again, comes with confidence, comes with age, and then just comes with practice. But I, like you said, if we're not raising ourselves and our children in that in that light that it's okay that some people might not like you, it's okay that you might not be great at something, right? Like, it's okay. Give it your best. Empower yourself. Educate yourself. And then you have to, like, at that point, just be very content with you. So I think the other thing about leading with, with authority is being really secure in who you are. The people who are um, masking or masquerading in this authority position and kind of like it's black and white, they're actually doing that from a place of insecurity. We should recognize that. Humble people are confident, you know, and confident people are humble. So that I always say there's a difference between confidence and cocky, right? Confidence is like you earned that, like you earned it, you worked for it, you did the all the things that have given you the knowledge, the power, and then you can really rest in that kind of I've I've done this and I, I feel confident in it. And if people, you know, feel differently, that's okay, right? Because I'm confident in who I am. But if you lead with this, like this is the way, the only way, and then somebody doesn't like it, you're gonna be you're A, you're going to get very defensive. You might get hurt. You're going to be, and what does that do? It saps your energy and it's not good for anybody. So I think, again, leading with authority is about being humble, but it's certainly about being prepared, educated, and empowered. Well, and I love what you said about, because this is, you know, uh, the whole black and white thing, you know, as physical therapists, with as much experience as we've had, we've seen the fads, we've seen the changes. And being open to new ideas, but standing firm and also what you believe. And, but, you know, so yeah, Hey, this works, but this might work too. And, you know, I think that if, if you deliver a message in a manner that says what I'm offering you is a tool that I believe in, but I also believe in other tools. And it's a, it's a, it's a trick to the trade. Uh, People will trust you. I was just talking with a friend who someone said to her, I've got this thing that it's going to fix you. I'll fix you in one session. And I was like, and she was asking me about the same method that he used. Now, my aunt, she said, what do you think about this method? Before she even told me what he said. And I said, I think it's a great tool. I think it's great for you because of this. I think it's, it works here. I think you should try it. And he said, well, he said it will fix me in one session. And I said, well, he set himself up for failure because that's not leading with authority. That's leading with ignorance, in my opinion. That's leading with cockiness, like you said. Could that help her? Yes. But educating, like you said, educating with what you know, being honest, being humble. Hey, I know I think this could help. This is what I know about it. But I'm sure there's more I don't know about it. Let me try and find out for you. Leading by example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Amen. Great question. Great question. And I, I just, yeah, I think it's a, it's an important question. So when you're seeking out um, anybody that you want to learn from, that you want to work with, those are the people that would I would be attract that I'm that I'm innately attracted to, that are confident in what they're doing, but are never rigid in it. That are never yeah. like this is the only way, and you better love it, and you better 
you know, it's, it's just this kind of embracing, like come into the fold with me. I'd love to share what I've, I've learned and I'd love to learn from you. So like we always say, we learn so much um, when we're from our students, from our teacher trainees, from our teachers, like it's a, I think that is when you lead with authority, all of those are in place. You know, it's, it's really, um, and that's what's attractive too, because rigidity is never really attractive, even though it's, a, it can be attractive to people who are lost <laughs> and they just want like that, like, Hey, I want to fix myself in one, you know, one session. Yeah. Hey, that's not possible. Most likely, you know, and that's just, yeah. That's not to be negative, but that's just not, that's not realistic. And that's really, like mm-hmm. you said, that's really setting anybody up for, for a big um, disappointment. Yeah. All right. So one more question here. Ease and grace, how to work with rolled ankles. So I think what she's referring to is. A sprained ankle sprained ankle or really like unstable ankles. Like there are people who have come to me and like, that's their first comment. Like, Oh, my ankles are really weak. They roll around all the time. And so, um, that is not something great because you know, your ankles are transferring the weight from your foot, from the ground up through the leg. So if they're unstable, they're rolling around and that rolling around is not getting registered to the brain quickly enough, then you are going to be set up to not move well, to get injured. And you're, again, you're losing some of that energy exchange. So the best thing to do for getting your ankles more stable is to get on your feet, you know, and get on your feet in a variety of ways on one leg, you know, coming up on the balls of the feet, having some feedback for what your ankle is doing. So we often talk about pressing into the first metatarsal head. That's your big toe mount like 60% of your energy from the ground is coming up from that area. If it's directed up through there, it has, it, you have more of a chance of keeping your ankle neutral. If it's, if you already start when you are pushing into the ground and you've rolled off of that big toe mound significantly, the ankle will not be neutral when it's transfer, when you're transferring that weight. So there's little tools you can use for feedback. And, and we obviously have a lot of stuff on Lit Daily, we have things that'll help you with this, but would you have any other comments? I'm sure we, there's a lot to be said about that, but yeah, you want to work on that. You don't want to just like, uh, what I see is people just assume like, oh, my ankles are just, my ankles have always been weak. Well, it's like, okay, well, you can do something about it actually. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I will be the first person to say my husband, he was one of those people who, you know, years of basketball and baseball, basketball, you come down off a layup or a, onto another foot, Baseball, you, you hit the bag funny. Um, he has sprained his ankle so many times that we always laughed. I mean, it, he could step on a pebble and roll. I mean, and it's take him to the ground. He can't even watch people roll their ankles because it makes him physically ill. Lit yoga has completely changed his life. And that is because of not only the foot and ankle, yeah, the single leg balance, but the hips. You know, our balance comes from the hips and the ankles and the core. So, I believe that, yes, all the single leg work is paramount, but I also believe that everything we did with his hips gave him stability from above, so he wasn't so reliant on the ankles that, quite frankly, are shot. Like, they don't have great stability, but he, so he improved his proprioceptive feedback through the single leg balance work through, like you said, all the toe stuff we do, uh, all the balance, all the changes, but improving that hip and core 
I think was a big chunk piece of the puzzle as well. And I, he, yeah. he cannot believe the difference after doing yoga with me, let yoga is all he does with me for the last seven, however many years, seven I'm years. I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, we, cause the ankle, the foot is the farthest. I mean, if you think about like a telephone wire, it is the farthest away. So it's always having this two-way communication with the brain. And if it's delayed in that communication, which definitely happens after you roll your ankle, it's, you can improve that proprioception, but you're going through the center of your body, which is the core, which is full of proprioceptors, you know, full, you start getting them, you're going to have a better idea of center just from, from the core stuff. And then it's, it, it translates down. You work your hip and triple flexion and extension, it translates down. So it yep. is a two-way street and you're absolutely right. One of the best ways to get it stronger is going into to core work. Yay. Well, as always, hey. this is so fun and your questions were amazing. If you ever want to write us, please just write us anytime. You don't have to wait for my Q&A box on Instagram. You can find me at Laura.Hyman and Kristen at KBWilliams99. Send us questions. We love answering them. And we just love this, this uh, wonderful community we have. Thank so you, great. Honey. We love you guys. Yeah. You're welcome. As always, we are pulling for you.